Welcome to It's a Good Life, the podcast for entrepreneurs, where it's all about growing yourself and your business. Before we begin, I want to remind you about our ad-free option. Go to It's a Good Life on the Apple Podcast app. You'll see a banner under the logo to remove ads and unlock early access to episodes. It's just five bucks a month, and there's even a free trial. Either way, continue listening to It's a Good Life, and here's our man, Brian Buffini. Well, top of the morning to you. Welcome to the podcast. Uh, Today's episode is getting your financial house in order. You know, handling money is the one thing in life that no one can avoid. 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck, including approximately half of the people who make over 100 grand a year. And the number one worry among married couples is, you guessed it, it's uh, money. Over 55% of Americans don't have a will. And the most common observations of funeral directors is that people just don't have their affairs in order. Well, today we're going to put an end to all that, as we're going to put uh, together five strategies for you that will not only help you get your financial house in order, but will actually reduce worry and stress and anxiety about all things money. I'm breaking from tradition today. I normally have three points for you, but these are five strategies. So the five strategies are a working home budget, having reserves for your home life, and if you have a business, also for your business, insurance, investments, and then legacy documents. Now, what's brought this about? Well, over the last, let's see, eight months, I've lost nine people in my life, from my father-in-law to my brother-in-law, some friends, mentors, all kinds of people who are in my life. And across the board, you know, I've seen different aspects of where people had their house in order and didn't. In addition to that, you know, the whole process of a reticular activator, you know, you, you buy a red car, you see the red car everywhere. Your spouse is pregnant, you see pregnant women everywhere. So all of a sudden things come to your mind. So I've been in this season of the last seven, eight months where there's been a lot of loss. And of course, I've been getting a lot of letters about loss and I'm also meeting people and seeing a lot of people who are experiencing loss. And it is just so common to hear the following. Oh, we love Grandma Sissy. She was the greatest. And then I'll say, yeah, great. How was it after the, with the funeral and everything? Oh, it was a nightmare. Oh, we just really loved our uncle. He was the greatest. But his family's in dire straits now. It's a nightmare. And I think, wow, you know, like you think of a great meal. You know, you go out for a really nice restaurant. You have a great meal. And the last bite is just awful. Boy, it's just the worst thing in the world. It doesn't destroy the meal. It doesn't destroy the experience. But it leaves a bad taste in your mouth. That is not what we want to have happen. And so this getting your financial house in order is both in the short term immediate and in the long term, the legacy aspect of your affairs and having your affairs in order, having your house in order. Now, this is going out shortly before tax day in America, or as we say in the real estate business, extension day, because you can file an extension and then do your taxes a few months later. Now, what's interesting to me about tax day is that the post office stays open till midnight. And I remember I've been to the main post office in Rosecrans. I did this one year just to experience it because I'm pretty anal. I do my taxes every month. And by the time January rolls around, I get all my documents together by mid-February and I actually hand deliver to my accountants 
I have to file taxes in 50 states and seven countries. And so my taxes are so organized and it's really anal any stuff. And the accountants are like, we love you because you're the only one who does it this way. And yes, I am tooting my own horn. So I can really speak to this stuff because my house is in order, just so you know. If I got run over by a truck, the family be sad, but everything is buttoned down into the nth degree. Now, the reason why most people don't do this is because we don't want to think about our own mortality. We don't think about our own death. And as Ogmandino said, most people act as if they have a thousand years to live. And we don't. When you get your house in order, not only does it help you now in the short term, but long term, it means you don't have to think about it anymore. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about this stuff. What do most people do? April 15th. And like I said, go down there. I One year I went down, I went down at 11.45 and there was a line of cars down Rosecrans in San Diego where the main post office is. And they actually had four lanes and they had giant baskets and they probably like five feet wide, like big rolling baskets like you'd see in a commercial laundry or in a hotel. And people were just chucking their taxes in there so that they said that would mean they got the stamp to say that they filed their taxes on April 15th and didn't get a penalty. And it was interesting, not only do they accommodate bad behavior at the post office, but there was people after 12 o'clock throwing their taxes in there. The thing about it is, there is no line on April 14th. There is no wait until midnight. There is no having to, you know, sit out there in traffic and suck in exhaust fumes because it's not a panic on the 14th. There's no one in line. But the 15th, which means everybody leaves it to the last minute. People leave getting their house in order till the last minute. The problem is no one knows the date, the time, and the hour of their last minute. So this is, on one hand, I'm going to give you some short-term stuff. Point number one is having a working home budget. That's for today. That's just for living. That's just to get through the day. We're going to finish up with legacy documents so that you get your house in order. So I'm going to blast through this. There's a lot of detail in here. Obviously, for those of you with a coach, this is going to be a lot easier to pull off. Uh, Someone helping you for the rest of you. This is a lot of work and it's going to take time. So this is not, oh, I'll see you next week on the podcast. You're going to have this done. If you got one of these things done a month over the course of the next year, it would be well done. So let's talk about it. The working home budget. So most people uh, will say, oh, a, a budget. And that's a good place to start. We're in a coaching business, so we know the difference. Now, I've had great people on here, financial people like David Bach and many financial authors, and they don't teach budgeting anymore because they're like, people don't do it. And that's like saying, I'm not going to teach goal setting because most people don't do it. You know, this show is for people who want to be successful. I'm speaking not to the bottom of the barrel. I'm speaking to people who are actually going to do something with it. This program is not designed to tickle your ears. It's designed for the achievers for the folks who really want to improve their life, for folks who are actually interested in pursuing and having a good life. And that takes work. It's not going to knock on your door and slap you upside the head and say the good life's here. It's just not happening. It's not happening while you're streaming Netflix. It's not happening while you're zoning out at home, playing video games. The good life is not coming to that. The good life is for achievers who want to pursue it. So the first step is we're going to speak about having a budget. So let me say this. You will not ever get ahead financially in life if you don't control your expenses. I've been a millionaire for over 30 years, so I feel qualified. I'm not some Instagram influencer who's giving financial tips and hoping I make enough money off the financial tips to make a few bucks. 
okay? I've been making a lot of money. I've had a fortune for more than three decades. And I can tell you this, and it doesn't matter how much money I have rolling in today, you still have to manage what's coming in and you have to have a budget. A working budget is constantly adjusted month by month to the realities of the change in your life. Now, by quarter, you're making structural changes. And then monthly, you're making small changes. But the fact of the matter is a working budget is not just, oh, I did my budget uh, three years ago, now it works. Well, maybe you have a new kid. Maybe you've moved to a new home. Maybe your kids have gone to private school. Maybe they've gone to college. Maybe they've left college. So you have an adjustment all the time. I'm in that spot right now where we are almost empty nesters and the budget is changing. Now I have horses, so the budget always expands too. So 63% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. I will guarantee you the vast majority of those people do not have a working home budget. So how do you do it? There's three elements to it. You first tabulate your core fixed expenses. These are the expenses you can do nothing about, okay? Your mortgage or rent, your car payments, These are the things you've committed to. They are fixed expenses, your property taxes, you know, all of the core expenses that you have committed to. Dave Ramsey says you must gain control over your money or the lack of it will forever control you, no doubt. So what are your core expenses? It's like, boom, these I currently can do nothing about and I've committed to them. Next, you have your irregular expenses. These are expenses that might come in annually, biannually, quarterly, or once in a while. And so you want to make sure you keep track of those. Again, because people tend to under budget, they budget their core expenses and the next two categories don't make it in oftentimes. So like a car registration, that comes in once a year. Your auto insurance might come in twice a year. Some people do it monthly. So you have these irregular expenses, but they're coming. You got to have car insurance, so you're going to pay that. Tuitions are often done by semester. So those are irregular expenses. Errol Flynn said, my problem lies in reconciling my gross habits with my net income. So that was from the 1930s, Errol Flynn, the great actor. So this is not new. Everybody struggles with this. Core expenses, those are fixed, irregular expenses. And then we have discretionary expenses. Discretionary expenses. These are the budget busters. And by the way, this is the good life. The good life requires you to spend a few bucks. You know, I was in Hawaii recently. I took my wife for a couple of really nice meals. Those are discretionary expenses. They're the good parts of life. Now, what makes it really good is that they were budgeted for. You know, the best vacation in the world is the one that's paid for before you go. Those are really cool because you come back with no aftertaste. So one of the tips here is you go back to your last 12 months statements and you count up all of your discretionary expenses. What happens with these discretionary expenses is people go, well, I won't do that again. No, that was a once-off. You count it, you calculate it, you divide by 12, and it becomes my average monthly discretionary expenses because you might not have kids' braces in March of last year again, but you'll have something else this next March. And so that's why the discretionary expenses to me, you do your trailing 12 months, divide by 12, and then plan on it as here's my discretionary expenses for the month. So I have my fixed expenses, my irregulars, I have my monthlies. Ben Franklin said, beware of little expenses. A small leak will sink a great and mighty ship. 
look, we've been doing this for years, and this is what we do. In fact, I'd say, you know, the standard operating procedure for when we meet a client is we help them increase their production in their business, and then we help them get control of their finances. Those are really the two strong things we do in our coaching program. A client of ours named Shannon French, she started with us with 100 grand in credit card debt. She had no household reserves. And her phrase was, she thought the American dream was a lie. Now, I wrote a book about this called The Emigrant Edge. But the fact of the matter is, when your circumstances are beating you down and money occupies that space in our mind, it creates worry, anxiety, it changes our attitude. And for Shannon, she came to the philosophy that the American dream was a lie. So when she'd see stories about it or hear examples of it, that's not true, or that's not the case, or that's not for me. All of us have this. Our circumstances often dictate our philosophy. Well, I'm happy to say today Shannon has zero credit card debt, and she has a full year of her expenses in cash in reserves, pays herself a salary, and no doubt her philosophy and her attitude has changed. So we need a working home budget, right? We put the budget in place. We adjust at least quarterly. Core expenses, those that are fixed, irregular expenses, and then ultimately the last 12 months discretionary expenses. And that's enough to take care of today. The second strategy we need to have is reserves, cash reserves. And so this is both for our home life and our business. So first of all, we need what's called a disaster fund. I saw a survey. It's from a number of years ago, but over 60% of Americans didn't have 500 bucks in a disaster fund. Dave Ramsey says an emergency fund, as he calls it, converts a crisis into an inconvenience. You have to have cash set aside. My dad used to say, when you're on top of the mountain, throw a little dirt in the valley, it'll break your fall. So when you're doing well, make sure you have some cash reserves. So we need a disaster fund. The second thing is we need a safety net. The safety net is the goal is to have one month's reserves in your home life. So whatever number it costs you to operate your home life, you want to ultimately get that one month in reserves in a bank account. Now, let me say this. People say that the first million is the hardest, and that's true. What I will say is what's harder than the first million is the first month of reserves. In my financial life, the first month of reserves for both my home and my business took me almost a year. Once I started budgeting, once I started really committing to this process, it took a year. Now, after I got one month, then I got three months, then I got six months, then I had a fund to go and grow and invest from. We'll talk about that. And then I made my first million, and then the other million started to come after that. The fact of the matter is, the first month of reserve, the hardest financial thing I've ever done. So if you don't have one, I understand. If you're halfway there, keep going. If you have a month in reserves, well done. Go and get three. So disaster fund, you need a safety net, and then you want a growth an investment fund. This is where after you have a safety net for your home and for your business, right? Especially if you're self-employed, you want a, a reserves for your business in case there's a bad month, a change in market, interest rates blow up, whatever happens. You want to be in a position to be able to withstand that. Then what happens is you keep saving, which means you maintain your budget, you increase your earnings, and you maintain that. So you put it in a growth and investment fund. So you grow your investments from cash. I hear people say to me, oh, I lost it all. It normally meant that they went and borrowed to do some investment. Oh, but cryptocurrency, 
Oh, the dot-com strategy. I mean, I've been around this stuff so long. You know, I can smell it a long way away. And all the crazes sound the same. It's all the emperor's new clothes. You're a moron if you don't participate. I've been called that. I've been, I've been sent emails when I've given financial advice. People with holes in their shoe giving me financial feedback that I didn't get involved in cryptocurrency, therefore I was a moron. And I don't know where they are today, and nobody knows where Sam Bankman-Fried is today. Everybody's looking for their cash. I'm not looking for mine. The fact of the matter is, you develop the habits of saving for a disaster fund, then for a safety net. That gives you peace of mind. Now you save so you can invest. Now you can save so you can charge. Now you can go and buy your real estate, buy your stocks, do the things you want to do. Invest in your business if you have reserves in your business. Time to expand and grow your team. Do those types of things. So that's the purpose of it. And it gives you peace of mind and it's very sequential. So for the reserves, we want the disaster fund. If you don't have one, that's a goal. Get a disaster fund. Get a thousand bucks in an account. Next, get a month's in reserves. Build it up to three. And then after that, start working on putting cash aside so you can grow and invest it. So the third thing I'm going to talk about is insurance. Insurance, the most boring thing in the world. I remember the movie Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which is one of my favorite movies. And any professional traveler or someone who spent as much time on the road as I did, uh, you love that movie because you've lived it. And here comes Steve Martin and John Candy in their characters. And Steve Martin is railing on John Candy and saying, I could endure any insurance seminar because I've spent three days with you. And so insurance, very, very boring. Well, let me, let me kind of liven up insurance for you by, I think, one of the most brilliant people who ever lived, humorous Will Rogers. And the amount of quotes I have from him and the insight he had. Now, here's what he said about insurance. A man who dies without adequate life insurance should have to come back and see the mess he's created. So what I'm going to say to you is this. Nine people in my life died in the last seven months. Half of them had insurance and half of them didn't. Half of them had a will and half of them didn't. It's a lot better to just mourn the person than to struggle with all aspects of the loss. And so here I am dealing with, I have one family, they were friends of mine for years and they'd done well, they'd live within their means, they had the budget, they had the reserves, they bought investment real estate. They had six pieces of investment real estate. So the husband has a stroke and thankfully he recovered. So I go talk to his wife and I say, hey, do you guys have all this stuff squared away? You have a will, you have a trust, you have all this stuff. I mean, if you don't, if something ever happened again, the government is your partner. Everything goes into probate. I mean, this is a a disaster. You don't want to have the government as your 50-50 business partner. And I gave them a referral and I gave them the same referral I'm about to give all of you here in a minute about where to get a will and where to get a trust. Two years later, he has a stroke again. Only this time he doesn't recover. He dies and they had not taken action. They had not taken the advice. They don't have a will. Everything is tied up in probate. And it is a disaster. So what happens is you live your whole life and you save your money and you do the right things and you live within your means and you build your reserves up and you make the investments and you you don't blow it all. You don't do the lifestyle blowing it all. This person did the right thing and they made investments. They just didn't finish it. You know, in a football game, the last 20 yards, called a red zone, 
That, that's getting your house in order, is the red zone. And so here's the deal. It's a disaster. Her bank accounts are tied up. Their money is tied up. Now she's not only grieving her husband, she's in dire straits. And they live frugally and smartly for all these years. But they didn't finish the job. And what's the legacy? It's the last bite of the meal, and it's a sour taste. It's why I'm doing this stuff today. And again, I know you'd rather listen to something a little more upbeat than this today. But the fact of the matter is sometimes, you know, the wounds of a friend are better than the kisses of an enemy. Sometimes as a coach, you need to deliver the tough talk so that people will take action so they don't have the really hard thing happen. So what do we need? We need three types of insurance. We need health insurance. We need life insurance. And you need some insurance or assurance for loss of income. So health insurance, right? We got to have that. And there's lots of ways to get that today. You got to have the health insurance. Jackie Mason, the famous Jewish comedian, said, it's no longer a question of staying healthy. It's a question of finding a sickness you like, (laughs) right? Classic. Very good. Milton Berle, another brilliant comedian, said, my doctor recently told me that jogging could add years to my life. I think he was right. I feel 10 years older already. (laughs) Good stuff. So you got to have some health insurance. We know that. Uh, you got to have some life insurance, at least in the, in the most exposed years of your life. Ben Franklin said a policy of life insurance is the cheapest and safest mode of making a certain provision for one's family. Ben Franklin was America's first millionaire. Seems like he knew something. And then you need some kind of loss of income. Now, what I did, because I was in the real estate business, I actually had an income property that I said, okay, honey, if anything happens to me and I'm incapacitated, you know, sell the house and use it as income. We have these insurances. We have this, we have that. So I did that. Disability policies, they do exist. They do seem to be very expensive. So I just dedicated one of my investments aside for loss of income. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, money often costs too much. P.T. Barnum says, money is a terrible master, but an excellent servant. So make sure you have health insurance, life insurance, and at least some kind of game plan in place in case you have loss of income. The fourth thing is investments. Now, I'm not going to go exhaustively into this. I've done a lot of podcasts on this. I'm going to do more. Episode 107 of season two was Invest Like a Billionaire with David Rubenstein. There's our billionaire we interviewed. Uh, Season two, episode 94 was one I did called The One Decision That Makes a Millionaire. And if you go to itsagoodlife.com, our beautiful new website, you'll see we have eight categories all set up for your listening. And so we've kind of taken some highlight episodes. So we have one just on money. So if money's the top of mind right now, you can go and dive in there. And so we have some really good episodes there for you. So let's just talk about it. So real estate, obviously, it's the number one way people make a fortune is investing in real estate. And by the way, we also have a real estate series of shows for you on that Good Life website. Stocks, obviously, investing in the market. I've done a series of podcasts on this subject, long-term attitude, taking a perspective on getting rich over the long haul. I did a great interview with my stockbroker, Ben Stewart. We did Recession Proof Your Money, episode 47 there of season two. So real estate stocks, and then you have other streams of income. And I'm going to do a podcast upcoming on this in in the months to come, which are other streams of income. And I've developed seven other streams of income for myself. So you have your salary, your income, you have your business profits, there's rental income, asset appreciation, dividend income, interest income, royalties and referral fees. So I'm going to walk you through that. That's that's what I do. And one of the ways I've diversified my fortune today 
and I'm going to do an upcoming podcast on that. So once you have your budget, once you have your reserves, once you have your insurances in place, then it's time to really invest. Real estate, stocks, other income streams. And then lastly, getting your house in order is your legacy documents. And I know I've talked about this today, but let's just make sure we take care of this. Here's the number. 68% of Americans, according to the AARP, do not have a will. 68%. Almost 7 out of 10 people walking around are not prepared to no longer be walking around. So here's what I would say. You have a will. Next level is a trust. If you love anyone, if you love anyone, you have a will or a trust. If you don't love anyone, then you're okay. If you actually don't love anyone at all, you don't need a will and you don't need a trust. But if you love anyone, and I'm going to guess that 70% of the people or 68% of the people who don't have a will have a lot of people they love, then you got to take care of business, okay? There's a wonderful website called trustandwill.com trustandwill.com. Pretty simple. A couple of young guys put this together and you can go and get a will at very, very low cost and very, very simple. You could probably do it in an afternoon. And there you go. You know, if you're walking around, you know that. You hear someone pass away. You hear someone, oh my God, Aunt Sissy died. It's a disaster. You've heard that. And you know in the back of your mind, you don't have a will. I'm talking to you right now. You know if you have something in writing or not. It's obviously the best case scenario is you go and get an attorney and you get it all drawn up. But okay, if you're not quite ready for that, willandtrust.com. Simple. Get it going. The next thing is asset instruction. What do I have? What do I want to have happen with what I have? And who do I want to handle it? And these are your digital and physical assets. So it's your money, but you have all your digital assets as well. So all of your assets, just write it down. Now I have a big binder. I built my trust in 1999. I wrote out a will in 1992. Why did I write out a will in 1992? Because that's when my first son was born. But by the time 99 rolled around, I wrote out and had a trust established. And I've amended it over the years. The fact of the matter is, most people don't do this stuff because they don't think they have very much. Well, what I can tell you is if you die intestate without a will, whatever you have, you have half. So you need asset instruction. And then you need end of life. What do you want? What do you want yourself? Where you care? Care homes. You know, I will say this, you know, my mom and dad, uh, my brother Kevin and I flew back to Ireland last October, put them into this beautiful care facility in Dublin. It's absolutely magnificent. The people are fantastic. And I got to say this, my mom and dad, they have their act together. They have all their I's dotted and T's crossed. They have where they want to be buried and what they want to do. My mom has songs picked out for her funeral and they've had it for years. So they don't even talk about it. So now you know, my dad is getting close to the end. It's not really a big deal. Now you just get to live and not worry and not stress and just be present. So those legacy documents preserve your legacy. You've lived a good life. Finish it off. You're in the red zone. Do the deal. I don't care if you're 20, 30, 40. I don't care if you're 90. It doesn't matter. Once you have this stuff in place, like I have this extremely detailed trust. I don't think about it ever. I don't think about it ever. Now, what happens is once a year now, my bride and I do a little review and we call our attorney and we do a little review as little things change or the assets grow or whatever else. And we just make an adjustment. We put the assets in the trust every time we acquire something. And that's it. I don't think about it. I don't worry about it. And I know this. If God forbid I was struck down on the way home today, my family's good. 
They can mourn their dad, they can mourn their husband, they can mourn their uncle, whatever it is, but they won't have to go, it's a bloody mess. So, we need to take care of business today and for the future. Getting your house in order, work and home budget. Have reserves for your home and your business. Insurance, investments, and then legacy documents. Today was that type of day, but I love you enough to give you the good stuff. I really hope you get your house in order. It'll take at least a year. With a coach, it's going to be done quicker and probably better. But the fact of the matter is work at it, chip away. And if you do everything we're talking about in the course of a year, you'll be in great shape. So how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. How do you punch a hole in that cheese like the Swiss cheese? One hole at a time. So maybe you get the budget going first. Then you work towards those reserves and you keep chipping away. Maybe you get the quick will done. Now you're up and running. So whatever it takes, whatever step on the ladder of economic success you are, there's another step for you to take here today. Hopefully this has been helpful. We do have some resources for you. And the great Mr. David Lally is going to share with you where to get those. Thanks, Brian. I'll keep it short and sweet. We've designed and put together a free resource for you called Getting Your Financial House in Order. It'll shine a light on where you're at with your money and affairs and what you need to go work on. So visit our website, itsagoodlife.com, and you can download your very own copy of this cool checklist to financial freedom. We'll see you next time. May the road rise up to meet you, and may the wind always be at your back. May the rain fall soft upon your fields, and the sun shine warm upon your face. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the hollow of his hand. See you next time. (laughs) 